Thank you, Mrs. Francine. That was a blessing. Well, it is good to be here at Eagle Heights Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Josh. If you don't know me, all the kind things that Joe Starr said about me is absolutely true. He didn't miss a beat. If you do know me, uh, keep your thoughts to yourself. This has been a long time coming. I, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while and to be able to uh, talk about the camp ministry. I want to say thank you for all the years that you've come to be with us for various events over the years and uh, to also express your love and support for what we're doing. I'm telling you, we couldn't do it without good churches like Eagle Heights Baptist. I want to thank Pastor Francine for allowing me to share his pulpit today. And, and I didn't talk to you about this, but uh, what I will do is just take a few minutes after the invitation just to talk a little bit about that. I'll be very brief because everybody will be hungry at that moment. But, I, but I, I'll, I'd rather do that if that's okay. Uh, I've been at the ministry, though, I will say, as a word of testimony, for seven and a half years. This March, March will make eight years, hard to believe. And uh, we love every minute of it. We have a great camp that is a very strategic ministry for our churches throughout the Midwest. We absolutely believe that. And uh, as the Lord continues to stretch and grow us, we want to uh, be a blessing. You know, the camp uh, was started years before I got there for the sole purpose of being a help to our churches. And, and I would like to say, by the grace of God, we're still doing it that way. You know, we're not a church. We're here to help you any way we can. And so uh, thank you for coming out. And uh, I'll say a few more uh, things about the camp after the message. But if you would, turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter number 8. Hey, are you glad to be in church today? Would you say amen? Hey, would you rather be in jail? All right, now listen, uh, I haven't preached here before other than like school chapel. And so uh, uh, it would help me to know that you're engaged with what I'm saying. And if you'll just do me a favor every once in a while, just say amen. That'll help me out, okay? Now, if you're not used to doing that, I'm going to help you out by doing a quick amen exercise. All right, are you ready? This will take the edge off for you. Uh, I'll say something true, and you say amen. I, I won't say anything that's not true. I'll say it true. You, you just trust me, and you just say amen. Are you ready? Okay, God is good. Amen. See, that wasn't so hard. That was actually easy. Uh, it's good to be at church today. Amen. Hey, Jesus is king. Hey, the preacher's handsome. Oh, uh, now, I don't think we're as spirit-led as I thought, but that's all right. That's all right. I can preach anywhere to anybody. All right? Acts chapter number 8, if you can and if you're able to, would you stand? We're going to read verses 26 down to verse 37. Very familiar story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, if there's anything that I could share with churches, what's the burden of my heart? For our camp ministry, and for me personally, I would say it's right here in this passage with the attitude and behavior of Philip. It's amazing. All right, would you read with me, starting at verse number 26. I'll do it aloud. You follow along. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose, and he went, and beheld a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sit, sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet of Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who should declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And, and this is a very important verse, by the way. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Isn't it great to see people get saved? And now I want you to notice, back in verse number 30, there's a, a third word in that verse I want us to say together collectively. It's the word ran. Okay, are you ready? And fill up. All right, do it with me one more time. And fill up. Ran. One more time. And fill up. Ran. I want to talk to you this morning briefly about the urgency of soul winning. You know, what is your energy output in seeing people get saved? Do you share your faith? Could someone say, hey, that's a person that ran to me with the gospel. Boy, I hope that's the truth. I want to talk to you about having that urgency so that we could be compelled of God's Spirit to see people get saved. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for a beautiful morning. I pray, Lord, uh, if someone that is here amongst us today is not saved, I pray that they will understand that their greatest need is that they need to be saved. They need to be born again. And Lord, I pray for all of us that our believers, I would imagine probably the majority, maybe even most of us, or not all of us here are believers Lord, we still need to be reminded that there's a lost and dying world all around us and they need to hear the truth, the truth about Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll be magnified and glorified in all things in whose name we pray. God's people said, amen, Amen. you can be seated. Uh, I'm glad that my wife could be here with me today. Uh, My family doesn't always get to travel with me to churches, but since it's not too far away, I'm glad Jacinda could be here. I have three little ones, Peyton, McKinley, and Bailey. And there's somewhere in the church around here. Um, now, I've been in camp ministry since I got out of college. In fact, my wife, Jacinda, and I met at our first ministry up in Michigan. And um, it took about a year and a half before she fell head over heels for me. And she finally caved to my charms and we started dating and we got engaged. Now, in that, that engagement period for all of us that are married, that's a very special time. During that engagement period, you're working on some things, like maybe marriage counseling, and uh, perhaps you're you're trying to get on the same page when it comes to your finances, communication, and and you're you're trying to get prepared as best you can for the big wedding day. Now, for us, um, I'll give you an example of things that we had to work on. One was communication, because I'll be honest with you, we were on two different planets when it came to you know thinking alike. And uh, uh, as a way of example, I'll tell you, um, I, I had the sense. And I felt that she didn't really need me. Okay, uh, you know, a man wants to know he's needed, right? And so she'd been independent for a while, uh, you know, on her own. And so I, uh, I said, I got to ask her if she, you know, feels like she needs me. And so uh, I, I escorted her from the office over to her apartment, which is just right across the street at the, the camp there. And uh, we were right under the spotlight. And I said, Jacinda, I got to ask you a question. Now, I know you're, you're a very independent young lady, and, and uh, you, you seem to do fine on your own, but, but i got to know, do you feel like you need, need me? She thought for a second. She goes, no, I don't think so. <laughs> she goes, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I want you, but I don't know if I need you. That <laughs> was a blow to my pride. I said, we got to work on some things. You know, I was very immature at that stage. And 
Another thing we had to work on was about finances, and uh, we were sitting on the, the porch right outside our apartment, and uh, we were looking at the computer at potential honeymoon destinations. And of course, in a camp ministry, we were dreaming more than planning. Then she said, now, Josh, if you could go anywhere in the world for our honeymoon, where would you want to go? Without even flinching, I said, Disney World. <laughs> she did the same thing. She said, I don't think you understood the question. I said, world. And I said, I heard you. Disney World. She said, no, 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 no. Uh, something a little bit better, like exotic, like Paris, Ireland, Australia, something like that. I said, yeah, you could get that at Epcot. You can go in the future land and then go right over to the nations. It's exotic. It's what we want to do. She said, no, I don't think you understand. So needless to say, we didn't go to Disney World for our honeymoon. But, you know, we had to work on communication. It was a big deal. And as well as many other items that our pastor who was counseling us to help us get ready. And you know why? It's because there was a day coming where we were going to stand in a, like an altar similar to this before our friends and our family, our pastor... And we were going to make a vow and a commitment one to another. And we didn't want anything holding us back. We wanted to be prepared. And by the way, it was a good day. It was something to be celebrated once a year, which I know, March 19th. It's something to be celebrated and excited about because it was when we got married, it was the beginning of a relationship. Hey, by the way, there's another wedding day coming for all of us as believers. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And all of us that have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus, we've been sealed with His Holy Spirit for that wonderful day where we're going to feast with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's going to be good. But I'll tell you, there's a reality that we ought to be aware of soberly on a daily basis that there are going to be people that we live next to that will be absent from that wonderful celebration. They won't get to be there as participators because they didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't get saved. Oh, and that's a real reality that it should hit home right now. It should hit home today. Because, because if we look at the life of Philip, Philip had that reality set in, and he wanted to see people get saved. The Bible says he ran to this man, the Ethiopian eunuch. And I think that's an interesting a display of somebody that loves seeing people get saved. Hey, they're going to run to them. Hey, are you running with the gospel? Or do you have a sense of urgency that people need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ and you want nothing more than to share with them the good news, the good news that you receive about this grace that was sung so wonderfully that we get to experience it happens with Jesus. Hey, we've got to run with the gospel, friends. We need to have a sense of urgency in being a soul winner. And that's the title of the message, The Urgency of Soul Winning. And you say, well, why... What, what, what was moving within Philip to, to help him run? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, I wanted you to see that he was compelled of God's spirit to do this. Hey, he ran because there was something uh, moving within him that, that, that compelled him to share this wonderful message. It's something that had been experienced in his own life. Hey, he, he lived it. And so, hey, you're, you're more prone and compelled to do something if it's real for you. Hey, if it's not real for you, then you won't care. You won't speak. You won't have that sense of boldness that we ought to have. But if we're compelled of nothing better than God's Spirit, oh, we're going to be running. I guarantee it. Hey, when he was compelled of the Spirit, notice to me why he did that. He was compelled of the Spirit and he ran because there was a revealed mission given to him. Hey, there was a clearly 
revealed, <coughs> excuse me, commandment to run. You say, where did that come from? <coughs> excuse me, something caught my throat. Verse number 26, it says, The angel of the Lord came and spake unto Philip, and he showed him a destination that he ought to go to. And then, after he obeyed and followed through, I see that the Holy Spirit came and then it said, All right, now that you obeyed that step, do you see that individual over there? That's why we're here. They need to hear the truth. Hey, you go and you sh- join yourself to that individual. Hey, open up your heart to them. And hey, Philip did it. Why? Because God gave him a mission. And my friends, that's a mission that each and every one of us ought to identify, should we not? Hey, can I remind you in Mark 16, 15, he says, and he said, it, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hey, that's our main job, friends. Hey, that's my main job. I need to be busy about going to make a disciple. Hey, do you realize that, the, that your church's main job is to go make disciples? It's to share the truth with the lost world. Hey, it's not just for fellowship. It's not for this, the, the social relationships that we have or to go feed the poor. No, no, our main job is to go make disciples. Hey, he had a mission. Do you understand your mission? Philip did, and he obeyed. He also ran, not because there was just a revealed mission to him. I also see number two. He was ready for the moment. He was ready for this. If you had been reading the book of Acts all the way up until this moment, you would have noticed that Philip uh, didn't just show up on the scene after not serving the Lord. No, my friends, he was busy in ministry in a place called Samaria. Oh, and in Samaria, there there was a, a great revival taking place. Everybody was getting saved. Even a sorcerer was claiming to be saved. Everybody wanted in on this. I mean, Philip was busy serving the Lord. Hey, listen, because he was busy serving the Lord, the Lord was able to speak to him and give him another job. Hey, he was ready for this moment. Hey, if someone asked you of the reason of the hope that is in you with being disappeared, would you be able to give a defense? Would you be able to give an answer? Would you be able to tell them, yes, you can be saved because of what God's doing in me? Hey, are you ready for that moment? Hey, would you be able to share with them, open up the word of God and show them how to be saved? Hey, just this week I was meeting with, uh, uh, my wife and I were meeting with a couple and this man needed to get saved and uh, I didn't have a Bible on me, but I was going through the gospel with him. And then afterwards he he said, yeah, I'd like to get saved. I said, all right, well, let's go talk. I said, now, just so you know, let me show you what the Bible said because I don't want you to take my word for it. You need to see for yourself. Hey, I needed to be ready for the moment. Hey, are you serving the Lord today? Hey, just because you showed up on church on Sunday does not mean you're ready. You gotta be living it. It needs to be real. Hey, if you're ready, or well, you'll probably have a sense of urgency, you'll be looking for those opportunities. Hey, he had a revealed mission. He was ready for this moment. I see also, thirdly, he ran because he had a relevant message to give. Look at what he says in verse number 35. See, after looking at the scriptures of a very key prophecy about Jesus Christ which clearly tells us about the sufferings of Jesus when he goes to the cross. To pay for our sins, by the way, it was about Jesus. He didn't know that, though, the Ethiopian eunuch. He says, who is, what is the prophet, who is he talking about? He says in verse number 35, he opens his mouth, begins the same scripture, and preaches unto him, who? Jesus! Hey, it's all about Jesus! Hey, you know what the world needs today? They need Jesus! Oh, some may say it needs peace. Oh, but it will never come unless they have Jesus first. Hey, Jesus is 
the answer. It's the most relevant thing today. Hey, it was what was relevant in the new, early New Testament period. It's the same thing that's needed for 21st century living. It needs Jesus. That's what it needs. Hey, now listen, this, uh, Philip could have come to this individual who was uh, the CFO, I guess, of the country of Ethiopia. He was probably sent to Jerusalem on a diplomatic service. But he goes to worship. I mean, there, there's a religious understanding with him about God. And he's going to Jerusalem because that's what you're supposed to do. But it hadn't been revealed to him yet who or what he's supposed to be worshiping. And maybe perhaps he, he left prematurely because of his responsibilities. He didn't get to meet up with maybe these apostles that they're talking about. And he didn't get his answers uh, to, to many questions that he may have. So he's leaving, not getting those answers. And yet God sends him his way and Philip shares with him the truth. He could have come to them and said, now listen, uh, you're the CFO, you're pretty wealthy. Uh, now, I would imagine with all this money, you, you, you're probably not happy. Because rich people, they just aren't happy with all this money they got rolling around. And, uh, I'll tell you what we do. You probably have low self-esteem. Let me give you a book. It's called Your Best Life Now. And we're going to teach you how to be happy, my friend. We're going to get that psychology fixed. Well, no, no, that's not what he needed. You don't need pop psychology. You need something more substantial than that. Hey, maybe he had bad health. There's a lot of people who have bad health today, friends. We just, talked, we just heard from Mrs. Francine of a lot of health issues going on. It's all around us. Hey, maybe this man was out of shape. Hey, maybe he had some real health needs. And he, if Philip could have come and said, hey, listen, let's put you on P90X. We'll get you on a certain diet and we're going to get you in shape. You're going to feel good about yourself. No, he didn't do that either. Why? Because he didn't need to preach physical health. He needed something spiritual, which was Jesus. Always starts with Jesus. It's the most relevant message to give. It's all, it's, this is what it is. And when you know that, and you know the job that God has given each and every one of us, you know what you're going to do? You're going to run. You're going to run because you want to see people's lives changed. And the only thing that can change it is Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, he ran because he was compelled of God's spirit. God was moving in him. I want you to see, secondly though, the urgency of soul winning also will come if, number two, you're concerned for souls. Now I see in this passage the way that Philip was, was moving and what you see him displaying is really a reflection of God's heart. What you see is the reflection of what God thinks about individuals and about people getting saved. You realize that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yet it was his sole purpose was to bring salvation to all of us. And he did purchase that for us. He's concerned about all people, friends. He's concerned even about the nobodies. He's concerned about people that would get overlooked by maybe the average individual. Oh, but what we see is that God is concerned for souls. And so we see it with Philip. I want you to see he was concerned because, number one, interruptions became an opportunity for him. Let me say it again. Interruptions became an opportunity for Philip to minister to this individual. And now listen, I told you he was in a place called Samaria. And listen, there was a lot of spiritual activity taking place. I mean, everybody was getting saved. Now who would want to leave a place like that? I mean, who would want to go to the, the, to the actual paradise of spiritual activity to go to a desert place where there's no one? Nobody wants to do that. Now listen, at the camp, this is a great example at the camp. In the summers, I mean, we have a lot of spiritual activity. I mean, kids come. We see lots of kids get saved every weekend. Man, you could feel that. I, I, I try to imagine if God said, now, Josh, if you're having a good time here in Ottawa, why don't you go to Pomona 
for a little while and serve, serve me. And I'd be like, Pomona, Pomona. Can anything good come out of Pomona, Kansas? They have a Wilmart, not a Walmart, a Wilmart, right? Joey knows this. I think is, is like the armpit of our Franklin County area. Hey, but a, a location, hey, God, God knows everything. He's aware of it. He said, Philip, go to the desert. And Philip obeyed. You know why? Because no matter the circumstance, no matter the geographical location, this interruption in his busy life, he saw it as an opportunity, even for one person. Hey, are you, are you not thankful that somebody was interrupted in their life to share you the gospel? Amen. Hey, aren't you glad that interruptions came so that you could get saved? Oh, I'm thankful for my dad sharing the gospel with me on his busy Wednesday to help me get saved. Oh, interruptions. Friends, if you're a believer and you're concerned about souls, you're not going to worry about your little schedule and your routine. And you're not going to worry about that traffic that's happening on I-35. Again, you know why? Because it could be that God is making a way for you to share your faith with that person. Interruptions are opportunities. Listen, when you're concerned for souls, I see secondly, you'll be interested in the needs of just one. Just one person. God moved Philip for one person. Hey, that's horrible business strategy from a world's perspective. But from God's perspective, he's willing to leave heaven if it was just for one person. He was willing to leave paradise, take on flesh... Come into this filthy world in our salvation, even for just one. Hey, are you concerned for the souls of just one? Hey, God is. Hey, God wasn't taken back by who he was. Hey, God's concerned about the needs of one. You know why you're not concerned about the needs of one? It's probably because you fail to see their greatest need. You say, what's man's greatest needs? <laughs> their man's greatest needs, they need to get saved. They need to be born again. That's their greatest need. But if you don't see that and all you see is a face, all you see is a body, all you just see is another human being walking around, you'll miss the point. Like I started a ministry up in Michigan. I worked for a man named Jeff Call. Some of you probably know Jeff. Jeff told me the story that when he was at Northland years ago, another camp, uh, there was this young man in Pembine, Wisconsin. His name was Daniel. And Daniel was a member there. And Daniel had Down syndrome. So Daniel's life basically consisted of hanging out at church and going to the camp. And he loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, one day, Daniel comes up to Jeff at the camp. And he says, he says Jeff, Mr. Call. He says, Pastor won't let me go out on visitation on Saturdays. And Jeff goes, well, Daniel, it's probably not the case. Uh, he said, perhaps, perhaps Pastor wants to know if you know how to witness to somebody. Daniel, do you know how to witness to somebody? He goes, absolutely so, I can. He goes, well, let's practice. So they were in Jeff's office, and Jeff said, now you, I'm going to take this fishing rod. It was sitting right next to his desk. He said, I'm going to pretend to fish. Now, like at a pier, and you, you try to come witness to me, okay? Daniel says, okay. He walks right out the office, knocks on the door, comes right back over to the desk. And he looks at Jeff with his fishing rod, and he looks at Jeff. And then he looks over the desk, and he goes, hey, what you doing? Jeff says, well, I'm fishing. He looks over the desk again. He goes, hmm, doesn't look like you're catching much today. He goes, what do you want? Well, Daniel, he started going through the plan of salvation. It's like he memorized one of the tracks that were sitting on the rack in the back of his church. He knew it well. 
And so he gets to the end of his presentation. He says, now you know what this means for you, right? You need to be saved or else you're going to be headed to hell. You want you, don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? He goes, well, yes. He said, well, do you want to accept him? He goes, yes. He said, well, let's pray. So they bow their heads and pray. He said, now listen, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out, but you have to mean it. I can't pray for you now. And so they, they prayed a sinner's prayer. And when they said amen, Daniel took off out the door. And Jeff was saying, well, you know, before I could talk about follow-up discipleship, you know, Daniel just left me. Well, then a little bit later at lunchtime, Jeff shows up to the dining hall at the camp. And when he walks through the doors, the whole place erupts in applause and, they, and congratulations because Daniel just showed up and said, hey, the camp director just got saved. <laughs> now, listen. Hey, listen. You know, Daniel... You, know, you could say his mental faculties weren't the same as maybe most of us. But Daniel knew what man's greatest needs was. Do you? Do you? Hey, Daniel, it's no problem for him. He was looking for an opportunity. You know why? Because he was concerned for the needs of just one. Just one. Hey, listen, if you're concerned for souls, interruptions are opportunities, you're interested in just one person... I see, thirdly, you'll be indifferent. Now listen, this is really important. You'll be indifferent to societal obstacles. Societal obstacles. Now listen, uh, this man wasn't a Jewish person. He was from Ethiopia. Probably the color of his skin was a little bit different as well. But that didn't matter. Because there's no... God loves red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in His sight. And there's no societal obstacles with God. Hey, when you come to the cross, we're all level at the foot. Hey, we're all equal there. And God's willing to save anybody. It wasn't just meant for the Jewish people. God used the Jewish people to reach the whole world. Hey, but, but, but we seem to segment ourselves and we're not willing to get out of our little, ops, our, our little box because we're afraid of what someone would think of us. Hey, God's concerned about everyone. Hey, it's good to see my new friend, Mr. Esteban, going to Mexico City. Hey, he needs to reach people there. Hey, there's people that need the gospel in Mexico. There's people that need the gospel in the whole world. Hey, but if you're concerned about you looking different or you talk a little bit different, you, you act or look a little odd, hey, you're going to be held up. You won't be concerned for souls. God's concerned about every soul. Hey, that'll make you urgent for souls. You understand? Hey, listen. He was concerned for souls. He was compelled of the Spirit. What do you need to do? I think thirdly and lastly, you need to take a conscientious step forward. That's point number three. Hey, if you're going to be urgent to see people get saved, you got to move and do something about it. Hey, just knowing it here, but it doesn't put action into your steps, then you've missed it all, friends. You need to take a step forward in sharing the gospel. And it's really, the way I would tell you to do it is, number one, you need to surrender to the Spirit's leading. Hey, the Bible for us as believers says you need to be filled with the Spirit. Hey, that means you need to have a yieldedness to God's ways. Hey, you need to yield yourself as instruments of righteousness, not unto sin, which brings death. Hey, yield yourselves rather unto God. Hey, know you not to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin and death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Hey, yield yourself to God. You need to have a sooner spirit. Hey, if you're not willing to be used of God, then you'll never reach anybody. God uses a willing person. Someone that's broken in their will. 
that has a, a heart for the things of God. Hey, you've got to be surrendered to the Spirit. I'd say number two, you also need to share your testimony. You, you, you need to tell people why you believe what you believe. Hey, that's apologetics 101 found in the New Testament. Hey, be you ready always to give an answer for a reason to hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready to share your faith? And you say, well, Josh, I don't have much of a testimony. I grew up in church and I mean, I know all the hymns and the verses and uh, I, I, I'm not that, I don't have that testimony that some people do. Well, let me ask you this question, friends. Here's a corporate straw poll. Raise your hands. If before you got saved, you were headed to hell, raise your hands. Okay, that ought to be everybody. Do you know what that means? Hey, your religion was going to send you into hell. But if it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't have life. Who cares about all your religion? You should share your testimony and say, I knew it all and I still missed it. Because it was about Jesus and what he did for me. Hey, you need to be able to share your testimony. Have you done that lately? Have you told somebody, hey, this, my life was changed because of Jesus and the gospel. Have you shared that with someone? Oh, hey, listen, you need to know your testimony. Maybe the, one of the first steps you can do, go out this door, go to that rack and pick up some tracks and be ready to share somebody with somebody about the gospel. Share your testimony. Be surrendered. You know, some of you are you're like, man, I don't know if I ever have the guts to do that. Well, listen, everybody's got to start somewhere. Maybe you should go up to Pastor Francine or Pastor Starr and be like, hey, listen, I know we have a visitation program. Could you show me what to do? I bet you they would love it. I'd be like, yes, more people. You just got to try. Hey, get over yourself, would you? We, we ought to get over ourselves. We get a little too emotional because we think about us instead of Jesus and others. Just the truth. Hey, just try. Just try. Then thirdly, if you're going to take a step forward, all you got to do is show them the truth. Now this is a little bit different with sharing them, your testimony. Because what saves people is not your experience. You have to be able to relate what happened to you back to the Bible. Right here. And that's exactly what, ta- that's what happened in this passage of Scripture. He was reading the Bible, which spoke about Jesus. So if you know your Bible, you ought to be able to show them Jesus. All you got to do is point there. Listen, there's no magic formula for us. There's nothing that you have to conjure up to manipulate in a conversation like a marketing strategy. You don't have to do that. Just show them the Bible. God's Word says this. Do you know your Bible? Do you? There's a lot of people that are in our churches today. They couldn't show you from the Bible what it means to be saved. You know, we need to change that, friends. We do. You need to know the Bible. You need to soak it up every day. Because there's life here. It's different. There's no other book like this. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder of soul and spirits of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open of the eyes of whom we have to do. Hey, the Bible is the only thing that could diagnose a person's problem and prescribe the right solution. you got to know the Bible. I remember one time I was flying from Oklahoma City to South Carolina and God was pressing upon my heart this truth about, you know, I need, I need to be able to be a better soul winner. And so I was sitting on an airplane and I, 
Uh, what I do is usually I have a book that has a title that might draw somebody's attention and I'll have my Bible out. Well, I was reading a book at this one particular time called The Murder of Jesus. A big, bold print, so I kind of shifted aside. I like to ride the window seat. And so I'm waiting to find out who's going to sit next to me. So I'm waiting and waiting. And finally, there's this lady that comes on the airplane. And she, uh, she is, by her own words, a, a hippie. I mean, she looked like one, too. I mean, she had the you know, free-flowing skirt with the wild colors and the peace emblem. She had the bandana. She literally was saying peace to the stewardess when she came. I'm telling you, it's true. I, she had a book called East, about Eastern meditation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, you know, that kind of a, a new age kind of thinking. And, and so she's coming on. I see her. I'm like, oh, not her, not her, not her. <laughs> and I'm watching. Oh, she's got my aisle. Oh, she's sitting next to me. And I thought, oh, I'm never, I don't know what to do here. And so somewhere up in the air, she saw the title. She goes, The Murder of Jesus. That's an interesting title. What's that all about? I said, well, well let me tell you. And I started explaining to her. Now, it was, it was something because uh, I, I just assumed people would know the basics to what we talk about. But as soon as I said, you know, he died for sin. She goes, sin, that's a beautiful word. What's that mean? I said, beautiful. Oh, we got to go back to Genesis. I mean, we had to go way back in the Bible. And then kind of hop through all the way to when Jesus comes. You know, you got to know your Bible. You, you might miss it. All scripture is given by inspiration. Amen. You got to get here. Hey, listen, are you, running with, are you running with the gospel? That's a legit question that each and every one of us ought to ask every day. I don't care if you're a preacher. I don't care if you're just a layman. I don't care if you're just a child. Or I don't care if you're old. If you have breath, you ought to be sharing your faith. Now listen, I, I am not some soul winner that I'm going to tell you all my stories. I did tell you one, but, but, but listen, uh, there's no story that's changed my life than the one I'm going to tell you. Are you ready for this? This is amazing. Five years ago, Jacinda, my wife, we went down to see my in-laws in Branson, Missouri, and uh, they live down there. We go down there all the time. How many of you have ever been to the Titanic Museum down there? Okay, a lot of you. Listen, if you've never been and you like history, you've got to go see the Titanic Museum. We were able to get some uh, affordable tickets, and we went in, and uh, the tour is yeah, maybe an hour, hour and a half, and they'd show how this process came to be about, you know, how they built the ship, and all the media that surrounded the hype of the Titanic, and they even have artifacts that they've recovered from the ocean. It's absolutely amazing. And so as you're going through the tour, and you're getting all this data information, as, as my family got towards the end of the tour, there were three things that caught our attention. All right? The first thing was there was this photo booth uh, where, you know, a blue screen, and then they would digitally put the Titanic in the background as your family. Right next to the photo booth, though, there was this pail of water, and there was a machine monitor, monitoring the water to keep it at a temperature of 28 degrees. Okay, that's the temperature the night of the sinking of the Titanic well, up in the North Atlantic. So they said that that temperature, a hypothermia could set in about 15, 20 minutes. They, they don't think anybody lived past 20 to 25 minutes. That's amazing. So the lady running the photo booth, she goes, this is what you need to do. She goes, take your hand and, and put it in uh, to where the water level comes up to your knuckles. So Justin and I did. And man, it was cold. So we counted to 10 seconds and then uh, we started to pull our hands out. Justin pulled her hand out. I was pulling mine out. The lady grabbed my wrist. She shoved my hand in further. Until the water level came up to my wrist. And she goes, now, count another 10 seconds. And I was like, okay, you psycho. And so somewhere about five, six seconds, I, she said, try to move your fingers. And, oh, man, it's stiff. It's really stiff. It's so cold. Uh, it feels like a bunch of needles poking you. 
uh, the wilderness retreat that Tony hosts, they tried to convince a bunch of us to go in the, the, the waters up there in Colorado. They called it the Heman bath. I called it the moron bath. Yeah, I, those guys are nuts. I don't know why. Their elevator didn't go to the top, right? Did you go in it, Rich? Okay, we were smart. We were clearly smarter once. Listen, 28 degrees. Nobody lived past 25 minutes. All those people. Boom. Man, I couldn't believe it. I, I'm rubbing my hand, fearful she's going to dunk my head in there. Yeah, it took me about, I'd say, 20 minutes before I got the collar back in there. So I'm still rubbing my hand. I go in the next room. That's a small room. They had three glass murals etched in the glass for the passenger list. First class, second class, third class. People that survived were highlighted. People that didn't were not. In the middle was this glass case, which th- this artifact travels around. But at this moment, they had the, the life vest that they believe was from John Jacob Astor's wife. John Jacob Astor was one of the richest men that had ever lived in America at that time. Uh, he was 47. He had divorced his wife and married an 18-year-old girl. It was kind of scandalous. So what they, had, they were on a month-long honeymoon. So he and his bride were on their way back to America on the Titanic. In today's economy, their suite would have been in the tens of thousands of dollars. Richest man in the world. His wife's life is right here. I thought it was amazing. Now on the back, on this wall, they had eight different pictures of what they said were eight different clergy. Three of them were Baptist ministers. One of them was by the name of John Harper. Glasgow, Scotland, been there for almost nine years. Started the church, blew up to 500 people. John's testimony, that everybody knew him, he was passionate about telling others about Jesus Christ. Him and his brother would just set up random gospel tents and just start doing services out there in the city just to tell people about Jesus. This is the man that John was. And he was a dynamic preacher. He had had done revival over at one of the largest churches in America at the time, what we know as the Moody Bible Church. He had done revival there. The church asked him to come back. Rumor was that they wanted John to be the next pastor in one of the largest churches in America at that time. That's the type of guy he was. They wanted him to do three months of revival. That's like summer camp. Could you imagine showing up to church that much? Woo! So John is on his way to America on the Titanic with his daughter Nan. He was a widower. His wife died shortly after giving birth to Nan. And so there they are. The right story has it. The night before they hit the iceberg, John was on the second deck pleading with somebody. Hey, listen, you don't know what tomorrow may bring. Are you saved? You need to be saved. Amazing. April 14th, 1912, iceberg uh, and the ship collided. And from the times about 9 to 2 o'clock in the morning, they had to figure out what to do. Because if you know the story, they didn't have enough lifeboats on the Titanic, right? Because some moron said not even God could sink this ship. And to prove their point, they said, pull off some of those lifeboats so we have more room to move around. What a fool. What a fool. So the ship crew is in a panic because they don't have enough lifeboats for everybody. So they start putting every, they put the first class passenger left, you know, uh, segmenting society, right? The first class passenger people were the most important. And so they were putting their dogs in there. There were dogs that survived while people died in the Atlantic water. Now, John is able to get in the boat because he's a widower. So he takes his daughter, he puts her in the boat, and then he steps back, puts his hands behind his back, and he tells Nan, he goes, I'm sorry, Nan. But your father has to stay here. But one day you'll get to see me again. They lowered the boats. That's the last time Nan saw her father alive. Stories from other accounts took over from here. John sees what's happening. He sees the panic. 
the chaos brewing. He sees the ship crew saying, women and children in the lifeboats. So John goes, I got to help them. And he says, oh, women and children in the unsaved into the lifeboats. Women and children in the unsaved in the lifeboats. Also, John started to talk to every individual that would give him a second to listen. He goes, hey, are you saved? Do you know where you'll spend eternity? Are you saved? Do you need to be saved? His favorite verse was Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe it on thy heart that God hath risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He goes, you need to pray, you need to believe it, get saved. We don't know how many people that night were rescued from the pit of hell because of the urgency of John Harper. He got down to the water in that small time frame that was left on earth. He was swimming to anybody that would listen to him about the gospel. He goes up to a young man who didn't have a life vest. He said, young man, do you know where you'll spend eternity today? He goes, I do not. John takes off his life vest and gives it to him. He says, you need this more than I do. And they say, the last words out of John's mouth was Romans 10, 9, his favorite verse. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, now, this is my story, actually. (laughs) What I told you, I read a lot in a book, but what I did read at the museum, I was floored. I'm still rubbing my hand. I go into the final exhibit where they talk about, you know, the excavations that they've done from the water, the visits, all the technology. They had one wall. On the wall, there were little tiles of, of information about the survivors. The last survivor died in 2009. There's no more survivors. It's been a long time. So I'm looking at it, and this hit me as I'm still rubbing my hand. I went, oh. They made it, but yet they still died. Oh, they lived and they died. Everyone, they lived, they died, they lived, they died, they lived, they died, they lived, they still died, they lived, they still died. Because after this, the judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die. Hey, listen, John knew that. So he ran with the gospel. Philip knew that, and he ran with the gospel. What are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing with your faith? Hey, listen, friends, we need soul winners. We need to see people get saved. We need to see lives change because of Jesus right here. Amen. 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 Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's have a moment of invitation.